0: Listener Production Uh, Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you?
1: Hi Will. Um, (laughs) Well, I assume uh, people (laughs) listening probably don't know who I am. And I know a lot of your guests are always like, I hate to define myself by my work. Um, But in this case, (laughs) I feel like that helps. (laughs) Uh, I am a comedian, Um, stand up. I do stand up. I am an actress and I work too much. So that's why I'm telling you who I am via my work. Um, But I'm also a, a, a lady from North Carolina in the States. And um, yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I don't start talking again until you stop talking. So there was a lot. You gave us a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff to work with there. So that was great. You didn't give us your name, but everybody knows that because they've already downloaded the podcast. There's a picture oh, of your face fortune, on the front of it. There you go.
1: Fortune <laughs> I mean, My name is Fortune famester
0: It's rare that anyone has just accidentally stumbled into a podcast and doesn't know who's talking. So I think we're okay in this situation. I think That's they right. know what's going on. Now, Fortune, I... I'm so excited to have you on the show because oh, I think you. you are one of the funniest people in the world. But Oh wow, thanks, Will. I really do. And you talked about working too much in that little introduction because you you have been working a lot. You've been doing a lot of projects, like you're constantly, you know, creating new stand up and comedy storytelling shows and touring them all over the place. Like, is it a matter of that you can't say no is it a matter of that you do say no a lot but you're just being asked a lot of questions like tell me why you're working so much
1: I think it's a combo of things I've been in Los Angeles now for 20 years I moved out here from my very teeny tiny town of 8,000 people and my first eight years of my time in LA were me getting told no constantly and me always uh kind of hitting a wall with opportunities and people really not knowing what to do with me. So once I finally got got a, my break, as they call it, um, I started working and had that mentality of like, well, now that I'm working, I can't stop. I got to make the most of this time and this opportunity. And then once you start working more and more, then you just get addicted. You're just like, oh, well,
0: now I just, I'm a workaholic. Okay, so t- tell me about how you choose your work then, because like this this show, the loose prism of this show is that we take a you know a philosophical or a life philosophical bent towards the choices that we make. Do you have a philosophy for choosing work? Because at the start, as you said, you're just looking for a break. So mm-hmm. somebody says, yes, you're like, thank you, yes, I will yeah. do that." But after a while, hopefully you're getting a choice of the things that you do. Yeah. <laughs> how do you choose what you do? Do you have a work philosophy?
1: Um yeah, in the beginning it was definitely like say yes to everything. If people want me, I'm doing it. Um because you're just trying to build your resume. <laughs> um now I am uh luckily getting to the point where I can be a little bit more particular. So I've been saying no to a lot more lately, which is a very hard thing for me to do. I'm always like are you, are we sure like maybe I could do it? I know my schedule's crazy, but I don't know, like, uh, we'll see, um, but yeah, now it's just like stand up has become such a big part of my career. I had um two Netflix specials come out uh called Sweet and Salty and Good Fortune, and those did well, so it put me on the road even more than usual, and now, if I want to act, um I really have to want to do a project because stand up is such a big part of my career um So yeah, now I just look for who's in the project, what the material is, is it something I've never done before? Um, Sometimes where is it located? That can make a difference. I've said no to a couple of things because I was like, oh, I can't live for five months in this particular place. <laughs> that, truth be told, that has, that has led to some no's.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I mean, it used to be the theory that Michael Caine, I think, said that Michael Caine would choose most of his projects based on the opposite, where they were filming. So it didn't <laughs> matter if the movie was terrible. If it was three months in Hawaii, he was happy to be involved. <laughs> (laughs)
1: yeah Yeah, for sure I mean we I'm in this series right now with Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's um one of those projects they reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to do it and I thought well you know it's this big action comedy series and I thought who in the world would have thought of me for action (laughs) like I If anyone looks me up, if you don't know what I look like, I definitely don't look like your typical action performer. So that was a shock. And so I thought, well, A, I want to do this because of Arnold and B, I mean, how cool would it be to be doing action so that led to that yes.
0: Okay so let's talk about that yes then and uh, weirdly enough I don't want to go to the Arnold thing first I want to go to the action thing first because like how much action are you actually doing what did you need to learn how to do tell me a little bit about that.
1: Um, It was quite a bit I mean I play a CIA agent it's a series called FUBAR it's on Netflix right now and i thought when they asked me to do the show i was like oh am i going to be like the person in the van who's drinking a you know coca-cola and telling everybody where the danger is and they were like no you're a cia agent you're a spy you're in the field and i'm the like uh sharpshooter and the mathematician neither of which are skills i have um So (laughs) that was a stretch. But yeah, I'm shooting guns. I'm in helicopters. I'm uh, hiding from explosions. I'm army crawling across the floor. I'm jumping over bars. I'm just, it's, I'm in a coffin at one point. It's wild.
0: So when you're preparing for something like that, is there like a grueling physical process where you actually have to learn how to do a bunch of these things or is like most of it like other acting where you can just do enough to pretend and they can make it look like you can do those things?
1: Um, it was a combo. I, when I, when I found out I'd be doing this, I had two months to prepare, which isn't very much time. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm about to be on screen with Arnold Schwarzenegger. he's like, even though he's older, he's, you know, a world champion bodybuilder. And I was like, not known for my fitness. So (laughs) I immediately called a friend of mine who teaches CrossFit and said I have to come to the gym. And so I started working out for two months because I just wanted to have stamina, right? Because I knew half the battle was I was going to be on my feet. 15 hours a day so that helped a lot but then they kind of gave us a crash course on weapons (laughs) not enough to like be any sort of expert but we had a lot of people on set before we would shoot something they would tell us the proper way to handle it and how to walk with it how to run with it i did have to learn how to assemble a gun um at one point if this tells you the type of show this is i have to pull my pants down at one point And I have parts of a gun attached to my body, my like (laughs) hips and butt, and I have to, for real, assemble this gun. So they like taught me how to put this thing together in like five seconds. It was crazy.
0: I mean that seems incredibly cool to me and then uh, there's the other bit of it you say you're t- from a town of 8000 people and I understand small places like where I'm from is literally 2000 people the nearest yeah. sorry 200 people the nearest oh, wow. the nearest town was like a couple of thousand people that was like yeah. but that was the big smoke to us so I get yeah. small towns and I get what well, that's like but suddenly you're not just like, you know, I mean, you've been in LA for a while now, you've obviously done a bunch of shows, you've done a bunch of projects, but there's something about people like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Rock, whoever it might be, who are at a, a even a different level to celebrity than than everybody else, it feels to me. There's some sort of super celebrity that goes along with someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So what was that like when you're suddenly like, I'm gonna be involved in a project with somebody of that sort of super status?
1: Yeah, it's, it's very surreal because he's someone who's been famous my whole life and there are very few people like that and he's world famous. Um, that's a different level of fame that is harder, you know, to come by these days. Um, he's just like everywhere you go, you're seeing people when you, you watch people discover that he's walking by or they're about to meet him, their eyes like get really big. They're like, especially men who grew up watching him. That was, he was their movie star, you know? Yep. Men lose their minds. They're just like all their boy boyhood dreams come true, you know, right in front of their face. And he and he's very kind to of people, shaking hands and taking pictures and he knows, you know, in a in a very humble way, he knows the power and the fame that comes with him. Um and he doesn't take it for granted. So that's nice to see that he, he knows that if he makes these small gestures, it can really make someone's day. So he really goes out of his way to do that for people. So it's fun to watch by by proxy. And it's, it's wild to be in the show because, you know, I'm from the States. I've been to say like Australia, this I've been to Australia three times. Um, but like, I'm not like an international, like known person. And, um, not anywhere in the level he is. And our show is like number one all over the world right now in countries. I didn't even know how Netflix. And that's the kind of power that he has, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Have you thought about that in relation to fame? And I'm not suggesting necessarily that, you know, anyone it's possible is going to be as famous as Arnold Schwarzenegger as it feels like almost an old-fashioned idea that movie stars are that big an identity and he was obviously bigger than just movies. But like you said, you're now in this show that's attached to him. The people who enjoy him all over the world are seeing you. And one of the things about you is that, you know, you – I think that if people see you, you're distinctive looking. You have a distinctive personality. Like you're clearly identifiably You, like, do you think about like that that next level of fame or recognition or like how it how it may or does affect your life? Is that something that you actually have to you know seriously actually have a think about?
1: I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to be someone like him. I mean, there's nowhere that he goes where people don't know who he is and like say like 20 of his catchphrases to his face. <laughs> um, <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> um, <I'm, laughs> I definitely have a very distinct look, like you said. Uh, I've been lucky to be working pretty consistently in the States uh, for the last 12 years and have been on some projects like uh, Chelsea Lately, your Mindy Project, um, this movie offers Christmas party, these different things that people know me by. Um, so I get a lot of people coming up to me on a pretty pretty regular basis, but in a very polite, like, oh, I really like what you do. Or, you know, they high five me. It's a very familiar mm-hmm. exchange. Like they kind of have this, um, like, oh, we we're old pals kind of thing. Um, so... I get that, which is very flattering that like people recognize what I do and enjoy it. Um, but I don't have like paparazzi, you know, chasing me down the street. <laughs> that's his level. Mine's just like very cool people being like, Hey, you're doing a good job. And that's to me, that's amazing. So it's so it doesn't really change my life. You know what I mean? I have a
0: yeah, I have a very normal existence. This podcast is about people and their life philosophies. And I wanted to ask you, do you have a life philosophy of any kind? It can be a relation to work, life, love. It doesn't really matter. And also an appropriate answer is no. But, uh, <laughs> but that is the premise of the show. So I'm going to yeah. ask you, do you have one?
1: Well, I don't have like a, like a fun saying, like a mantra or anything like that. Um, for me, I just, I, don't, I guess my philosophy is to enjoy everything I'm doing. To have a genuine like excitement for it, you know i I find that i uh when i when I wake up in the morning and i'm I'm positive about the day and excited about the things, then I can feel the difference in doing those things um so I always try to treat everything like I'm pumped for it, like I'm excited to be here, even if I know it's gonna be like a long filming day. It's just like, oh, I get to learn something new today, we're gonna have a cool moment, not that I'm always you know doing that. of I can be moody like anybody else, but I really try to make the most of opportunities and, and just be positive about it. And I feel like that positivity also comes through in my comedy and how I talk to people in my life. Um, it's just how I am, you know, on stage, but it's how I am in life
0: as well. So that's interesting that you say that because that was honestly one of the questions that I wanted to ask you because you're stand up in particular, which is the thing that I love first and foremost about everybody. I'm a stand up myself and I love stand up and I love people who are stand ups. And I, to be honest, like, you know, it's great that you're working with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but really, you know, I love watching people's stand up and, (laughs) you know, I feel like I learned so much more about them from watching their stand up (laughs) and yours just radiates joy. And sometimes if something radiates joy, it could be cheesy or soppy or sugary, but it is none of those things. It is genuinely joyous. And I wanted to know whether that was like, you know, an artistic creation or that was just a representative of who you are the rest of your day.
1: I think it's definitely um, comes from who I am. I'm I'm not like, I almost said I'm not putting on a show when I do stand-up, which is funny because that's literally (laughs) what I'm doing. Um, (laughs) But it's kind of one of those, like, what you see is what you get. That's very much me on stage. Those are my stories about my life, about my relationship, about my family, about my childhood. And some of those stories, like, take, for instance, in my Sweet and Salty special, I talk about, Coming out. I talk about coming out to my family and I go through each one of my family members and what that experience was like. In the moment when that happened, however many years ago, that was a very difficult situation. It was a very, you know, anxiety. I was full of anxiety. I was scared. I didn't know if my relationship with my family would change forever. So it's based on a really difficult thing. But where I'm at now, I'm at the other end of it, where I'm happy because I'm who I am. I'm getting to live my life in a very authentic way. My family loves me and it didn't you know, ruin our relationship. So now I can speak from that experience from a happy place. Here's a fun story about coming out. I can be silly about it, joyous about it, um, in a way that sort of takes the pain away. If that makes sense.
0: It makes a great deal of sense. I'm interested in how you know – one of the things you just mentioned there that I think is an incredible insight is, you know, there's an old comedy cliche, which is, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. And I'm always interested in – sometimes you'll see a comedian who's going through a tragedy and they're talking about it on stage at the moment it happens – the most famous example from recent time is like Tignataro, obviously, you know, at Largo when she famously found out her breast cancer diagnosis and talked about it that very night. So someone's in the middle of the trauma and processing the trauma in the middle of it. Then I recently watched John Mulaney's uh, new special, which is him talking about, you know... A really terrible time in his life that he's come out the other end of now, and I was like, "Oh, it's interesting to see—you know—you process something that happened two, three years ago. Now it feels like you have an insight on that. When do you know? When do you know it's the right time to be able to, like you say, find the joy in something that might have been quite a hard experience in the first place?"
1: Well, I come from a family who always saw the funny in things even in tragedy even when we were going through difficult times you know we didn't have a lot of money growing up or losing a loved one or whatnot you know we would always find the funny in whatever was going on we'd make each other laugh and that was always our way of dealing with those things and making it feel a little lighter it didn't make the situation easier per se as far as you still had to get through that situation but it helped face it a lot better. And so I think that's, you know, going back to philosophy sort of how I take on the world now. And I use humor to to get through difficult situations and find the the light in the, the light in whatever dark things happening. And so, you know, as far as when I then bring it to the stage, Usually by the time I've brought it to the stage, several years have passed. So I've had time to get to an even lighter place with it. So it makes it, I don't know if the word is digestible, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't evoke that response from the audience where they're going, oh, because as a comedian, <laughs> you don't want the, oh, you go, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs>
0: I love what you're saying there, but I'm also super interested in the idea of how – telling a story changes a story because clearly like what you're not you're not making a documentary on stage you know you take the best bits of each story you take a few different ingredients you reshape them into something that works on stage palatable for people who don't know the people involved in the story to understand the broader story right like you you eventually are telling a story it might be a story based on a true story but you know you start to change the lines or so-and-so said this instead, or you cut out half of what they said because the first half wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> yeah. When does, do you know, do you, do you know what I mean? That idea yeah, of you sure. say something so many times, it becomes your version of what happened, even if it doesn't mm-hmm. exactly relate to what happened in the first place. Like how much does that come up in your work?
1: Yeah. Well, as I tell everyone, all of my standup jokes are based on true stories. If I'm, Telling it, it that thing happened, but I'm definitely a- always taking creative license because I'm like, well, yeah. what? How they said it was boring, so I'm gonna juge it yeah. up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it more fun. I'm gonna put my spin on it. So it's always got, you know, here's the truth. Here's the story that happened, but here's my take on it. And and I'm gonna make this. Sometimes I've taken, you know, I'll have a character and a story. It's a. It's based on a real interaction but I'm like that that person was a little bland like I don't think that would be memorable so I'm gonna take a little piece of what I've thought was funny about this person and this other person and this person and I'm gonna make it all one person in my story I've definitely done that um but yeah I've done it I like with my my mom's become a big part of of my comedy especially the tour that I'm doing right now I'm talking about my mom a lot uh, but one of the stories that resonated with a lot of people from one of my specials is I talk about how um, my family used to go eat at this restaurant called Hooters. I don't think you guys have them in Australia. There's chicken wings with
0: ladies in <laughs> oh, we're, fa- we're very familiar You're with. You're familiar, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Firstly, I think... I think there was a couple in the same way as there were a couple of Starbucks in Australia until people realized there probably (laughs) wasn't, we already had better coffee. But but also, we consume so much American culture that anything that has been prominent in American culture, Australians understand. So yes, we're familiar with what Hooters is. So, you know,
1: Hooters and my family went there my whole life and my mom never had a problem with it. Always like very... Like, I love Hooters. You can get chicken wings for cheap. And she started dating this uh, this new man who was very conservative and very religious. And I said, let's go eat at Hooters. And she goes, I have never eaten at Hooters. And so it's become this... <laughs> it's become this... Thing that people yell at me now uh, during shows, like they repeat this line. So <laughs> at the time, it was infuriating because you're like, Who are you? you like, you're yeah. a crazy person. <laughs> because we have literally been there for years <laughs> and she's looking at me like uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> so so that's another classic story of like oh that was a time my mom was nuts <laughs>
0: How does your mum feel about it because I'm always interested in like when you talk about your family on stage mm-hmm. and particularly those iconic moments like is mum like is mum on board with this does mum get any right in you know do you run the stories by mum and say I'm thinking about talking about this or does does she how, what's that relationship i guess is what i'm asking when it comes to you know telling those stories Well, my mom
1: loves to be talked about. So if she's a topic of conversation, she is smiling (laughs) real big and going, that's me. You know, she's she's claiming it. (laughs) She just likes attention. So she loves that part of it. Um, She usually comes when I'm on tour to shows early on. So she sees it long before I film anything. And normally she's pretty good about letting me talk about whatever. I really mind her stories for on stage purposes. But um, at the beginning of this tour, I told a joke and she goes, it was about another story about a different person she dated. And she goes, that one's off limits. And I was like, oh, okay. She had never done that before. So you just have to respect it. And you go, well, I don't. It's to me, I'm like, I don't quite understand why that one's off limits, but you've drawn a line, and that's that. So you just have to move on.
0: Can I ask you about your relationship with your mother? Because I know that, you know, you've – like you said, you use her a lot in the act. Like she's been on your – you know, po- you've podcasted together. Like, I mean, you know, it's become this, you know uh, – yeah, it's, it's quite a public relationship now. You know, people who would know you would definitely feel like they know something about your mother at the same time. Like has – what's that – how's that relationship developed over your life? Like was it always – the way it is now, like you know did it change you know when you when you came out? like has it been I just I'm just interested in you clearly have this like ima- amazing dynamic, very colorful you know relationship because you know you you're from a reasonably it's stereotypically reasonably conservative part of the world, religious upbringing, you know all these sort of stories. but so just tell me a little bit of the journey of the relationship with Mum and how it's come to be where it is now.
1: Well, I definitely would never have guessed if you had asked me in high school, would you be like having this kind of relationship with your mother and I would have been like I'm never in a million years. Yeah. We definitely went through our, you know, ups and downs that I think mother mothers and daughters seem to experience more because that relationship is such a complicated one. And I've never been able to really put my finger on why and like what makes mother and daughter relationships so complicated, but it is. And we certainly had our share of butting heads when I was in high school and college in particular, where we just were not on the same wavelength and we saw life very differently. And it took me, I think, moving, (laughs) Truth be told, three thousand miles away, <laughs> <laughs> for that relationship to, to work,
0: <laughs> um, we just yeah we just had a long distance relationship. That's all we did.
1: It is. We needed our hearts to grow fonder <laughs> for it to work. <laughs> and <laughs> I think I think I had to sort of I had to grow up a little bit and. Sort of understand and accept that parents are humans and they do their best and they don't always get it right, but that doesn't mean I have to like hold their feet to the fire for every mistake or to make that define them for the rest of our relationship, you know. That took me kind of, yeah, just sort of being like, okay. I gotta let that stuff go. These things happen with us in our relationship and uh and I can't keep holding on to that, you know? And so that was a big um that was a big step in our in our getting a lot closer, I think.
0: I'm very fascinated in the concept of letting things go. So letting things go with your mother so you can have a modern, you know, like you can have a different relationship as adults, I think is absolutely beautiful we need to like we need to be able to do that with our parents if we're going to have those sort of relationships with them I think because Mm -hmm. as you know as we all know as we get older ourselves we realize how little we actually know about the world like I'm you know the age I am now I was I was I think I was 20 when my mum was this age, you know, like and I just think I know nothing about the world now and like she, my mum had fully raised an adult by the time that she was <laughs> the age I am now. So that yeah. idea of forgiveness and letting things go is good. Are you good at Are you good at that without parents being – so like are you good with that in general? If a friend has wronged you or if you have some historical, you know, are you good at being able to let things go you know, more broadly than that?
1: I think so. I mean, I definitely have had situations, you know, where you don't see eye to eye with someone. I can I can admit, you know, when I'm wrong and and make amends for that and move on and stuff. I think I'm I think I can more easily let things go when the other when the person meets me in the middle there and if they've done something they're able to you know, be like, hey, I messed up or whatever. I'm not, again, here to like hold on to that forever. If if they're like, ah, I shouldn't have done that or I could have handled it a different way. I'm like, well, I appreciate you saying that. That goes a long way with me and I can move on because I have seen people hold on to things in a way that's really unhealthy for them. The other person's not sweating it, you know, and <laughs> they're holding on to all this anger and resentment and i've seen it really affect people (laughs) in a very negative way and i and i saw that and i never wanted to to be be like that so and i saw the results of letting things go and it led to a much healthier much closer relationship you know using my mother as an example in that instance
0: uh i'm interested in in like a religious upbringing because you were r- raised religious right like is that am I, am I right in saying that yeah i was raised um methodist so it's
1: i i joke that it's the christian light uh version of christianity right it's it's not the fire and brimstone <laughs> <laughs> situation right
0: yeah it's the more the community nature everyone gets together and has like you know uh, like still, God very present in it, but uh, very much about the sort of community aspect of God, right? It's more of that yeah, focus for than sure. the, You're all going I mean, to hell.
1: In the South, there's you know, a tr- literally a church on every corner. It is as prevalent as Starbucks, um, God and coffee. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's a big part of uh, the social fabric of where I grew up. So. The God component is there, but it's also very much how people um, hang out with each other.
0: And so, like obviously, this show is about you know what people think the meaning of life is. Often, it's channeled through the question, "What do you think happens when you die?" And obviously, what you think happens when you die often, you know, has a religious you know component to it for those who you know have some sort of religious aspect in their life. So, let me ask you that question. But I guess what I'm looking for is just like what your take on what you think happens when we die and and yeah. and, and why you think that
1: well i love how deep you get um. <laughs> 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 um i haven't thought about this in a minute i mean i'm definitely not religious i don't go to church i have not been to church in a long time i do my mom a solid by going to church on Christmas Eve with her every other year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's where I get my uh, (laughs) fill of Jesus. Um, But I definitely, you know, growing up with that Christianity as a big part of my life and those beliefs being what you're taught, you know, definitely some of those have still carried on with me uh, to a little bit of an extent. I also believe in, a lot of things, like um, not one type of philosophy as far as that's concerned. But, you know, there's some, I don't know, it feels very fanciful to say this, or whimsical, I guess is the right word. Uh, But there are some people in my life that I was extremely close to, my grandmother being one of them, who died when I was really young. She died uh, the day after I moved to college when I was 18. And I choose to believe that when I die, that I'll get to see her again. And so I guess I believe in some sort of afterlife because whether or not that's true, no, no I, we don't know. But I think it makes me, me feel better to have that thought that, that that those weren't my last times with her. So I do believe in some sort of after something and I could very much be wrong and I'll just be dust at some point, but who knows? <laughs>
0: I mean, none of us, none of us are really going to know. And certainly, if we do find out, it's one way or the other. That's no time for recriminations and telling other people (laughs) that they got it wrong. Right? (laughs) It's just time to hang out with your nana and feel good about it. Yeah, because ring everybody else who had a different theory. Right?
1: Yeah, because I, I don't, I don't put that belief on anybody. I don't expect them to have that same belief. And that's kind of where I think the difference is as far as belief systems. I'm always like. You should believe when it comes to things like that, what makes you feel better um, because of the fact that, you know, uh, we won't know for sure till it ha- happens to us. So I just go with like that's what makes me feel better and and I and I hope to see her again. that's and that if that is my like Pollyanna <laughs> approach to life, then that's that's that. <laughs>
0: I mean, that feels pretty on brand for you. I've got to be honest with you, Fortune. I, I like that. Like, you know, you feel like there's like a, a nice little afterlife where you can see your nana again. And I think that's that feels great to me. But I also, if I'm getting the timeline right, and of course I don't know about your actual real life and personal life, I'm literally observing it from the outside through, you know, your entertainment that you've made and the way you've told your story. So the timeline of this might not be correct, like, but... Eighteen, so your relationship with your grandmother, like eighteen, is that before you come out publicly? Did your nan mm-hmm. know that is that too sorry, and is that too uh, I I hope that yeah, you don't mind me asking that question. Oh yeah, no that, not at all. Like, you know, um, obviously you had a very close relationship with mm-hmm. each other. I just wanna know where the the timeline of, you know, you losing her and you be, you know, you're being able to proudly be out and be yourself, you know, where that sort of did she know, I guess, is the question. Yeah.
1: Um, no, I'm very open about that stuff. I feel like I was a whole different human uh you know, up up until that time, up until eighteen. Uh I did not come out till I was about twenty five, so my journey took a little bit longer to come to terms with that. I think being from a small town, not having the internet yet, just not having that representation really led to a prolonged Um, understanding a a realization about who I was so she never was um, privy to that part of who I am but it certainly didn't really come up I kind of was young and I didn't really date so I just like dating was never anything we talked about or you know what I mean it was just kind of like our relationship was very sweet for lack of a better term, she was a really unique woman who would like pick me up from school and like drive me around town and point out the different types of trees. And I would go with her to like the bank and the post office because she would have cut roses from her garden to like give to people. And she was, we would go to the cemetery to check on the family plot. Like it was a very, old school (laughs) like I know very very southern thing to do let's check on that family plot I'm like I don't think they're going anywhere (laughs) but we'll check in on them sure that's what she believed she believed we're talking to them right there Um, right
0: yeah that you could go down there and you could have a little conversation with them down there. That was the place to sort of be able to mm-hmm. – so that so death in a way was very present like early on or at least part you – know, you know, because, I mean, you can't go to a cemetery. You can't go to a plot without being aware that, mm-hmm. you know, there are people buried under the ground there. That it's there where are I learned to drive. So you were aware <laughs> – really? In the, in the cemetery. <laughs> well, I guess <laughs> – you can't, you can't do any more damage. I, I know, I'm
1: like, well, what's the worst that could happen?
0: <laughs> had so an accident. Yeah. They found 900 bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So
1: it was just such a pure and sweet relationship. And uh, so she never got to see like, yeah, the adult part of me. I, I hadn't even gone to college yet. Like she literally passed. She'd been sick with cancer all summer and they said she kind of, you know, people believe she, uh, again, based on your belief system, that she kind of willed herself to to live until I got to college.
0: I, if, again, if any of this is too personal, just tell me to shut the fuck up at some stage. But I, <laughs> it's all good. Um, you know, you, you uh, um if you if you meet her in this whatever this place is the good place let's just <laughs> yeah. say it is right you you know and and you get to you get to see her again for the first time what what's the you know I, I mean let's assume she's been checking in and saying what's going on and she yeah. loves it all but like what's the first thing that you would like to update her on what would you know what would be the biggest part of b- biggest piece of news like you know you joke that it's you're in a Netflix series with Arnold Schwarzenegger but I bet if I ask you this question really. Like, you know, what is the one thing you want to be able to share with her and say, guess what happened?
1: Well, I definitely feel like I've really come into my own. You know, I'm a whole different person. I would like to kind of get her to see, like, the person I am, and hopefully she would be proud of that because I do feel like a lot of what she instilled in me, I've tried to hang on to that, and I even – uh Go by my so fortune is technically my middle name. Uh, I grew up as Emily, um, and but she really wanted me to be named Fortune, uh, it was her grandmother's maiden name. And she just my 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 she really went head to head with my mom about naming me Fortune. And my mom thought it was way too big of a name. And uh, so after she died, when I moved to LA, I thought, well, I wouldn't be who I am without her. I wouldn't have any confidence without her. So it was always, I was I kind of had in the back of my head, I was like, if I ever do perform or if I do anything in that field, I think I want to go by Fortune because she knew me before I knew myself. And it would always, I thought it would be my little nod to her, kind of like the Carol Burnett, you know, ear thing. Fortune was kind of like my way for her to know that I'm always thinking about her. Um, And I thought you could be like Emily in life and fortune on stage, but it doesn't quite work like that. I quickly became, (laughs) (laughs) I quickly became fortune. (laughs) And now that I am well into fortune, Emily feels, Emily does feel like that girl up until 18. Uh, The one that's from the small town who didn't quite know who she was, who was, kind of trying to be who her mom wanted her to be, going by the name her mom wanted her to have. That to me is Emily, and she's awesome and has a big place in my life. But fortune is like, that's who my grandmother knew I could be. And I'm trying to live up to that potential. And I feel like I'm doing all right. (laughs) So I want to share with her that journey. You know, here's here's what happened. If you don't know, What's happened since I was 18? I'm gay. I think she'd be okay. Let's hope she'd be okay with that. Wouldn't that be a bummer?
0: She's like, mm, don't love that. I know. St- stuck, stuck in eternity with her. But also she's really disapproving of that one thing. Wrapped about the rest. But that one thing, she's, I just can't get over it. I'm sorry.
1: And I'm like, God, I guess I didn't know you're personal belief
0: system <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no just developed it since I've been since I've been here <laughs> I was fine on earth very welcoming and open but up here I've got some new opinions I've had time I, to think
1: god that's so funny that idea of that just being like I can't wait to tell them this and they're like mm, not a fan not a fan of that <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think
0: she would be cool with it yeah I'm sure she would be I um, my yeah. gran- my grandfather who I am named after, William, uh, Bill, he went by and he died mm-hmm. when I was uh, about the, sa- the same age. But he was, I mean, I was named after him. I was the first grandchild. You can imagine just mm-hmm. like how much, you know, attention and whatever that he, you know, he he half raised me and I loved him so much and you know he died before obviously yeah before I went to university before any of that he he didn't get to see any of it and I'm sure he would be immensely proud of my success but he also wanted me to be an accountant so I, I do believe there would be one part of him that would be still. I'd be like, I've been really successful in this chosen career. And be like, yes, but you're not an accountant, and that was actually my dream view. So. That's so
1: funny. He's like, this is this is all right, but I don't know. Um, I just had different. A do you different have a good accountant? That's what I want to know. Have you looked after your
0: money? Yes.
1: <laughs> I would definitely also want to obviously introduce her to my wife. Cause, uh, that it's weird to like be, you know, we've, we're eight years in a relationship, we're married and she's, you know, never got to meet the, one of the most important people in my life. So that would be a neat thing to get to do.
0: Let's talk love then because I think love has been it's felt like it's love and joy have been the through line of our conversation today. Well, love, joy and technical difficulties, but <laughs> That's we'll true. go with love and joy. Those <laughs> <laughs> the two most important ones. We're going to focus um, on the positive. Exactly. So your your love, you you are married as you said and mm-hmm. if if I know the timeline correctly, you might have even got married during you know, the pandemic is, it, was it a 2020 marriage? Is that right? And so it was. tell me about, yeah, tell me about love, finding somebody and being in love and getting married.
1: Oh, uh, well, you know, that's been the uh, most grounding, probably part of my life that's happened in the last almost decade. Um I definitely, you know, think uh, that has, yeah, just helped me be the most comfortable with who I am and, and, Feel peace, um, which is a nice thing to have. Uh, Before Jax, I had dated, but never anything super serious. And I was always just like bummed that, you know, I was meeting the wrong people or people I was getting told no, or that, you know, there was those, um, that unrequited love for someone that they didn't feel back. You know, I was always kind of hitting a wall when it came to love and dating (laughs) and I kind of had resigned to like ah, maybe maybe you don't get to have it all maybe maybe I should be you know grateful that my career is doing well and that's that's what I get that's my that's my like um thing that that I get to accomplish and maybe the love part will just always be a you know a thorn in my side in my side Uh, But (laughs) eight years ago, she, I mean, everyone said this could happen. And I never thought, I always thought they were full of it. Uh, But she literally walked up. She walked up and I was like, who is this person? And yeah, I mean, we just started talking and it was at Pride in Chicago. And we hit it off and hung out that whole weekend and have pretty much almost been together ever since. It's really weird. How simple it was.
0: Uh, obviously, COVID changed everything in relation to people's relationships. It, it mm-hmm. ended a lot of relationships. People yeah. were spending, <laughs> you know, so much time together that it, it just wasn't how their relationship had been structured. It had been structured for them to spend at least eight or 10 hours a day away from each other to yeah. <laughs> get some stories and new things to talk about. Uh-huh. And so, like, um, turns out I don't a, like a, you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, I don't like you in this dose. (laughs) You're
1: lovely. Kind of like like my mom. I like you when we're miles apart. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So the part of your relationship, you know, the the marriage is literally happening, sort of in the middle of all this. Was the, was it, 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 was the chaos of the world at the time? How did that affect what what you were going through personally?
1: Well, we had gotten engaged a couple of years before, so I didn't feel like it was one of those, like, um, there's a, you know, a world catastrophe happening and we're going to be irrational, (laughs) um, and just go for it. (laughs) Let's like the world's ending. Let's just, you know, have love while we can. Um, we knew we wanted to get married and had already talked about getting married, having the year that we got married be that year. And we're really bad at planning. So we kept putting it off and putting it off. We were going, yeah, we'll probably get married later this year, and uh, that was that was the beginning of 2020. And then when everything yeah. shut down, we were like, oh, I guess we won't be getting married this year. Um, and then the we got through the the first part of it totally fine. We spent a lot of time together anyway, so that was not like some big difference. All of a sudden, being around each other a lot. Um, we did discover we do like each other's company, so that was a bonus. Um,
0: good. We're bonus. like, I guess,
1: we, yeah, that helps. <laughs> we're like, we can be in a bunker together. Okay, good to know. <laughs> and she never wanted a big wedding, and I, and I'm a person, I'm a people pleaser. I was like, oh, we got to have a, you know, some wedding because. Mm-hmm my mom's going to want that and my friends got going to invite this friend and this friend. And then we were kind of like, wait, we can actually just get married Uh. now (laughs) and not, she can have what she wants. I don't have to feel guilty. And (laughs) I can go, sorry guys, I couldn't invite you. Because it's a pandemic.
0: (laughs) 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 I mean, you've really turned this to your advantage. For real.
1: (laughs) real, Because I remember telling my, I thought, thought, well, when I tell my mom, she's going to be devastated. (sighs) And I said, I I said, mom, you know, listen, we've decided to get married in like two weeks and you can't come. She goes, oh no, really? I can't. I can't. I go, I don't want you, I don't want anything to happen to you. It's for your own Mm, good. And she goes, you're right. (laughs) Then I go, wait, was that easy? (laughs) So it worked out perfect. We had, we had the wedding that was perfect for us. We got married outside by the beach. We had five friends there uh, and it was perfect. It was really uh, doing something for us. And I have a tendency to, like I said, want to, take all these other people in consideration and you know your your day of marriage is not the day to do that
0: no it's not and so that t- I'm, I'm very conscious about time particularly because we had you know mucking around with some technical stuff but there's a couple of questions i really want to ask before the end you're touring australia firstly which is the reason that we got to have a chat you've done it before as you said but you're gonna be doing some shows in australia so tell people like you know let's do a like a Plug, but also a plug. have a little chat about what it is that you you bring, you're doing uh, in Australia.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. I've, this will be my fourth time visiting Australia. Um, I've been lucky enough to go. First time I was filming a week at Chelsea lately. There, the second time was the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which was awesome. I got to be there for two weeks, and then I did Just for Laughs at the Sydney Opera House, which was such a dream this is my first time headlining all my own shows. So I'm doing, um, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Adelaide stopping into Auckland, New Zealand on the way to there. Um, so I'm excited. I hope people will come. Um, just because this is my first time going out on my own doing these shows. So I do think my brand of humor, (laughs) Australians seem to get me, which I really appreciate. We have I feel like similar sensibilities, so I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think that your sense of humour is very Australian, but also not just your sense of humour, but the style of humour that you have. So, like, often when I say to people about the Australian style of stand-up, it's storytelling combined Mm -hmm. with punchlines. Yeah. Often in America when you hear of like people talk about that. It's almost like they're two different things that can never be combined with each other. Mm-hmm. Like e- someone either tells jokes or they tell stories yeah. and stories aren't <laughs> jokes and jokes aren't stories. Whereas mm-hmm. in Australia, you know, a lot of the time it can be very storytelling but packed with punchlines and that's what I feel like. It feels like, I mean, I, that's my observation of your comedy. Would you say that's that's accurate?
1: Yeah, and I would say, I would say that there was a um – A big influence that happened with me in my stand-up evolving was that two weeks in Melbourne because I was seeing that a lot of the performers there were doing a lot of, in the States, what feels like a one-woman show or a one-man show, um, telling a narrative with a beginning, middle, and end. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like, a really interesting way to craft a set. It, whereas I felt like in the States, everything's kind of discombobulated. It's here's a joke and here's a story and here's a thing and here's the thing. And I had never seen it like that before. And so after that trip, I think um, that's when I really started to try and craft a narrative. Uh, for Sweet and Salty, and that has influenced my style of writing ever since. Oh,
0: great. Um, yeah, I'm really pleased to hear that, and I think, you know, that's why Australians are going to absolutely take to you. They should come out and see you. Here is a question that I stole. Okay. Um, no, I did not steal, because I absolutely <laughs> acknowledge it every time. So, that's not stealing, is it, if you tell people where it came from every time. Kurt Bronhuller asked Pete Holmes this on Pete Holmes's podcast, but I just mm-hmm. love this question, so I'm going to ask you okay. uh, which Which is, would you prefer to know when or how you die? If you had to know one or the other, would you prefer to know when or how?
1: I, you know, when you first hear it, you think, God, yeah, I want to know how much time I've got so I can live life to the fullest. But then I think, well, shouldn't we be doing that anyway? I mean, I think part of (laughs) right that (laughs) it would be a good philosophy to have like hey why not live every day like it's your last i don't know who said that but that's a good philosophy um and maybe not like your last you want to be a little responsible
0: (laughs) but you want to make sure that you've still got something up your sleeve in case it isn't your last you're right (laughs) that's the problem i
1: I think i as much as i kind of I'm a person that likes to to know things. I'm a, I f- find like uh, myself going, I wish I had a crystal ball so I could know whether or not to do this or this. I actually don't think I would want to know. I think I want to, um, I think I just want to enjoy what I got and not, I feel like if I were to find out like, hey, maybe it doesn't go as long as you thought, that'd bum me out. And I think that would affect, that might affect how I lived, and so I want to I want to kind of stay on the path that I'm on but like evolving in a natural way, you know? Not based off of fear or sadness or any other outside influence.
0: Um all right, two more two more questions <laughs> and then we're done and I thank you so much for your time here of today. Course, it's thank been, you. Um, we we've struggled through a little but it's so um, nice to speak to you. You are absolutely such a joy. You're a brilliant stand up. Like people should absolutely go out and see fortune. Uh, do your stand up because you're just going to have such a fun night. It is going to be a night of joy. You are going to laugh nonstop. You're going to be amongst a whole bunch of people who are there to have a good time as well. This is, this is, um, I highly recommend it. So two things before we finish. The first one is this, um, I would love to know if you've ever got a good piece of advice or a bad piece of advice. It doesn't really matter which of the two—either one that someone told you that you're like that's actually completely wrong, or one that (laughs) someone told you that you're like, you know what, that's actually been pretty good advice.
1: Um, I got a pretty good piece of advice from my mom back in the day because I used to be a bit of a worry uh, worry wart, as they say. I remember in college just always, I don't know why, but I was always fretting about something. I was a bit of an overachiever and was always like feeling like I'm not, you know, I was thinking about so many problems that could potentially happen before they were even in existence. And I remember my mom finally said, uh, she said, don't borrow trouble. And I was like, what? And uh, she goes, don't borrow trouble. She's like, don't. You know don't think about all the things that could possibly happen happen you're you're asking to hold on to these difficult what ifs and it's causing you all this anxiety for no reason was, if something happens cross that bridge when when you get there but you are asking to borrow um this anxiety and this worry for nothing it might not even happen i go oh yeah yeah so it definitely, in a weird way, shifted my perspective. And, and I, I worry for sure about things here and there, but not nearly to the extent I hear her in the back of my head going, don't borrow trouble whenever I start going, well, this could happen and this could happen. I just
0: go, no, don't do it. Uh, that's incredible. I love it. Well done to your mom. Say, <laughs> Good say job, mom. On. Yeah, good job, Mum. Well done. And uh, final question. This goes a little to your crystal ball hypothesis of before, but it doesn't need to, which is this. I have a time machine. I have one round trip on offer. You can go to the future or to the past. It does not matter which of those options that you would take. Um, uh, You can go to your own life. You can completely ignore your own life. You can just go and visit a historical moment. But you can go back to your own life in some place if you would like to do that also. So so it's a two-part question. The first part is, do you go forward and back? And then the second part is, you know, telling me where you would go to.
1: No, oh, wow. Um, gosh. I'm not one to to dwell on the past too much. Like, uh even though you know, I appreciate have photos and videos and stuff like that. I always thought like I, I was thinking about it the other day, I was like uh, looking for a video of my grandmother and I and I hope to find it for sure. Um, but I go, well, all that's up here. I've got all that memory. You know, I don't really need it. Um, so I don't really think about going back as much. I mean, maybe not necessarily going to the death part, but I wouldn't mind going to the future and at least seeing if I'm okay.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Sorry. okay seeing if so. I'm
1: working, you know, I, or, if, that's, or if I need uh, to g- g- get another skill soon. <laughs> I, I get that.
0: So I get the idea of going forward. How far forward would you go? So if you're going to, in that scenario, is, are you talking 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years? How far do you think you would go? Maybe to
1: 20, 15 to 20. Let's go pre-retirement age. That's uh, And like, am I, what am I doing? Am I still doing stand up? Am I, has it shifted into something else? Uh yeah, I don't know. Just not because I think it would change much. I'm just kind of curious. I'm always like, God, what would what is life going to look like in ten years, fifteen years? Um, but it could look very different. I don't know
0: if everything went perfectly in your life to what you think now, because we all think different things from day to day and year to year. Yeah. If everything went perfectly in your life and you step out of a um, time machine, twenty years mm. from now, what mm-hmm. what are you what are you seeing?
1: Um. Well, I hope I hope I'm I've had a successful career. Um. That I hope my relationship's happy and healthy. That we're ha- or that we're healthy. Um. We're not having kids, so that would be a shock if there's a <laughs> a child somewhere I'll be like, Oh, <laughs> that's a twist. Um <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Um, but yeah, I think I, I don't need to know like a lot of stuff. It'd just be nice to know that we're good and that like and happy that that would that would be a nice thing to know. Because I think, because I think, part of my you know workaholism and overachiever thing is from the fear that it'll go away, that the opportunities will dry up, you know. So maybe that would help me find some work-life balance.
0: <laughs> uh, Fortune, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so uh, much for doing the show. Thank I- you, Will. Um, if people want to find you on other places, so they can find uh, the previous specials are on Netflix all mm-hmm. over the world. Foo Bar's on Netflix Netflix all over the world. There's a fella called Arnold Schwarzenegger in it that you might have heard of. So you'll be able to find that one. It's I imagine. not a tumor.
1: <laughs> so that, that guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just on your quick poll of what people shouted at him in public is it get into the chopper or not a tumor would be number 1 or 2
1: Um get to the chopper Yeah get to the That's chopper That's a big one mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> And he'll he'll go to the bathroom and say I'll be back So he he plays into it as well
0: <laughs> Thank you for doing the show mate
1: Thank you I appreciate you having me Luna. Uh-huh.